If you'd like to turn, our sermon text for today will be Galatians, be in Galatians chapter 4. Brother Seth is going to come and he's going to read that text in its entirety for us, beginning in verse 21. Galatians 4, 21. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, don't you hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave and the other by a free woman. But the one by the slave was born according to the flesh, while the one by the free woman was born as a result of a promise. These things are illustrations for the woman who represent for the women who represent the two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai and bears children into slavery. This is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren woman who does not give birth. Break forth and shout, for you are not in labor, for the children of the desolate are many, more numerous than those of the woman who has a husband. Now, you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as then the child born according to the flesh persecuted the one born according to the Spirit, so also now. But what does the scripture say? Throw out the slave and her son, for the slave, the son of the slave will never inherit with the son of the free woman. Therefore, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Christ has liberate, liberated us into freedom. Therefore, stand firm and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Thank you very much, Brother Seth. Uh, it's my understanding that some of you in those in Sunday school classes using Explore the Bible curriculum actually were looking at the account of uh, Hagar and Abraham and Ishmael uh, this morning. So you're getting to kind of follow that up uh, with the sermon text today. This is, I know, I recognize for some of you that uh, have not read this text this week, have not spent any time with it. This, As you were listening to Seth read right then, you may have thought, Man, I really don't know exactly what's going on in this text. This sounds a bit complicated. Uh, I know Brother Don this morning said that he had read it, and he said, Hey, I've got some questions for you. So uh, my hope and prayer is that we can fill in some of the gaps and blanks and answer some of those questions now. But let me, let me comfort you with this. We are story people, I believe. We are people that love a good story. Right? We love a good narrative. How many of you like, it'll be coming up soon, how many of you like the NCAA basketball tournament? March, March Madness, do y'all enjoy watching that? Okay. You know, if you've noticed this year, as you're watching the games, right, it's fun to watch the games, and we love a good upset, and we love a good buzzer beater. If you'll pay attention to the broadcasts, though, what the, the broadcasters are giving you is a narrative, more than just a game, between the games, leading up to the games. They want to tell you about this player who's a walk-on, who shouldn't have been on the team, who never expected to be there and how he's there, how this team has overcome some great adversity. And all of a sudden now we're more interested in basketball because of the narrative, because of the story. We love a good story. Well, in Galatians, in this letter, Paul has been telling us over and over and over that 
that the new covenant that we have through Christ is greater than the old covenant that came through the law. He said that over and over. Well, today, what he's doing is illustrating that with a story. And for those of you that love a good story, you're going to love today's text. So look back at just the first few verses. Let's look at verses 21 through 23. The story that Paul's reminding us of, and then let's discuss it together. He said, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. All right, I'd like to take just a moment for us to pray together before we really try and dive into that. So if y'all would join me and let's pray. Father God, this morning has been so good already. The opportunity to hear your word read and to read it together. Lord, to be led to sing praises to you that you are fitting of, to be reminded of the promises of your word that, that we are standing on and that do provide a firm foundation for our life. Father, to be reminded of your goodness and amazing grace through song. And so, Lord, now as we continue to worship you, as we worship you through the hearing of your word and, Lord, an, ex an exposition of the truth of it, Father, I pray that that's exactly what we have, that you help me to speak clearly the truth of this text in a way that is applicable to those that are here, that they understand your word more, that they understand your truth uh, with greater depth. Father, help our minds and hearts to be focused for this brief time that we would hear your word, understand your word, and then leave here to live out your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so Paul here is reminding us of a story, the story of Abraham. A lot of you, if you grew up in church, are probably at least vaguely familiar with the story of Abraham. Uh, there are a lot of different parts to it. It's a pretty lengthy story. But specifically here, he's talking about the two sons that Abraham had. One son comes through Hagar. He refers to her as the slave woman in a minute, and we'll talk about that narrative and why that is. And then he talks about the other son, Isaac, who is born through or with whom he has this baby with Sarah, right? His wife, Abraham and Sarah have Isaac and that is through a promise, a miraculous promise that God had made to them. And so he's really comparing and contrasting these two different sons. And he does that all throughout this text. He, he tells us that one of them was born of a slave woman. And he uses that term multiple times in the text. And one was born of a free woman. And he uses that term multiple times in the text. But the terms I really want us to look at now for just a moment to help define and put some parameters to what we're seeing here is that the first son born through Hagar, Paul says was born according to the flesh. That's in verse 23, right? The son of the slave was born according to the flesh. And then talking about the son that he has with Sarah, about Isaac, he says this son was born through or according to promise. So let's think about those terms for just a moment. According to the flesh and through promise. So think back on the story, right? God calls Abram, even before his name is changed to Abraham, and he tells him 
to go to a, a new land that he hasn't been to. And God makes some really big promises to Abram. And a lot of those promises actually involve Abram's offspring, right? Their promises, your offspring, your lineage are going to inherit this land. Through your offspring, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. Later we see that uh, you're going to have as your descendants will be as numerous as the stars of the sky and the sand on the seashore. And those are good promises because those of you that have kids, it's pretty nice whenever there are guarantees that things are going to go well for your kids, right? Somebody promises you that no matter what happens, they're going to take good care of your kids. That's pretty comforting, right? I think we can agree about that. So you'd think Abraham would be super excited about this, but here's the problem. When God makes these promises about Abram's kids, Abram doesn't have any kids. In fact, his wife can't have any kids. Sarah is barren. She is incapable of bearing children. And so... There are all these promises that are, it, when you have kids to Abram and Sarah, apparently it sounds kind of like if you have kids, all these promises are going to happen. And so you know what they do? They, they come up with this plot. They said, you know what we can do? We can, we can manhandle, in literal terms, manhandle, we will According to the flesh, as Paul would say, come up with our own plan for how we can have kids. And then things or the ball will get to rolling from there. And so that's the process. Hagar, who is Sarah's maidservant, Paul refers to her as a slave. Abram lays with her and has a son by her maidservant. So Hagar and Abraham now have a son. And it seems like, okay, well, everything is going to, to go well. But long story short, because it's in the point, but it's helping us understand the point. Long story short, it really doesn't go as well as they thought it was going to. The plan that they come up with to do this on their own really doesn't go the way that they thought that it was going to go. Sarah isn't as happy as they thought she would be about not being able to have kids, but her husband now having a kid with another woman that's living in their house. Can you see how that might not go well? Right In hindsight, you say, man, that never really was that good of a plan, was it? And so let me ask you this question for just a moment. I feel like I'm losing some of you already. So let me ask you a, an engaging question here. Is there anybody here this morning that can identify with Abraham and Sarah here and say, there was one time that I came up with this plan and son, I thought it was the plan. Like I just, I could picture how well this was going to go and that thing fell flat. Anybody, anybody, just me and Dan, Gracie's with me. Right, we've done this lots of times. We're Abraham and Sarah. We like to laugh at them. Man, what a stupid plan. But man, I've made some stupid plans. Now, you don't ever make it thinking this is a stupid plan. I have done that just a few times. And I'm just going to see it through anyways because I've already made this plan. Most of the time, though, we think this is going to be a good plan. 
I can manhandle this deal. I can, by my own strength and my own wisdom and my own ability, I can make this thing work. But it doesn't always work. And it didn't work well for them. So what do you think happened next? Did God just get fed up and say, well, that was dumb, so I'm moving on. I'll pick somebody else. I know I promised you a son, but here you have your son. And so Sarah's just not going to get to know the joy of having a son like I'd promised. No, that's not what he does. Genesis chapter 17, we have this for you. If you'd like to turn there, you can. Genesis 17, I'm going to begin reading in verse 15 to see God's reply to this, this effort. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarah your wife, you shall not call her name Sarah, but Sarah... I know, I said the same thing. I don't know exactly the difference in the pronunciation. But Sarah, which means princess, shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Then listen to this. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son. And you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. So what does God do? God sees this effort that they've come up with. He sees this failed plan that they have. And he doesn't say, I'm done with you. I'm not going to be tied to this in any way. I'm moving on. No, God says, listen, I made you a promise and I'm going to keep my promise. Even if you've messed up. Even if you didn't trust me, I'm going to keep my promise to you and your wife's name shall be changed to princess and she will have a son. The two of you together will have a son. And all of the blessings that I'm going to give, she will get to be excited about these things as well. And then Abraham, like, what are you thinking? He doubles down. Right? God says, Abraham, you messed up, but I'm going to fix it. I'm going to give you and Sarah a son. He says, no, 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 God, that's not a good plan. That's not going to work. Don't you know how old I am? Can't, can't we just use the son that, that we brought about? And God says, no, that's not what we're going to do. You and Sarah are going to have a son. Point one this morning, there's more than one way to skin a cat. I know. In most contexts, that seems like a really weird sermon point. And I will point this out, that it was just last year that I learned that that's talking about a catfish. Did you know that? That makes a lot more sense. But you know, in a generally speaking sense... We use this often to say there are a lot of ways to attack a problem, right? There are multiple ways to go about doing things. But usually when we're talking about there being multiple ways to do things, it's kind of, all right, there, there, there are a couple ways you can do this, and, and one of them's going to be the best, and the rest aren't really going to be that good. And here we're seeing that. But here's the difference. The difference is 
the way that is the right way is God's way. And the way that is the wrong way is any other way. Any way that we're trying to fulfill God's promises according to the flesh. I don't want to use Paul's terminology. Any way that you're trying to manhandle and bring about God's promises, that you're trying to make these things happen, is going to be the wrong way. It's not going to go well. It's not going to turn out the way that God intends for it to work out. It's going to be less than. It's not going to be as good as. So what if instead of manhandling all these things, we just let God handle them? I want us to think about that for a few minutes. Look back at this text in Galatians 4.22. As we think about these two, I want to take just a moment before we get into Paul's uh, allegorizing of this text. And I, I want us to, sometimes it's easy to hear a story from a distance. I want you to put yourself in the shoes of Abraham and Sarah. And just for a moment, imagine how much greater God's plan is than their plan. Trust me, I believe this is going to be helpful. Verse 22, for it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. All right, so think about these two. You're Abraham, so both of these sons belong to you, right? Obviously, to Sarah, only one of them, Hagar, only Sarah, but we're going to take the, the view of Abraham. So you put yourself in Abraham's shoes, and it says, if God comes to you and God says, Abraham, I'm going to give you two options, you're going to have a son. And that son is going to receive all sorts of promises and all sorts of grace from me. And things are going to be so good. And such a great lineage is going to come through him. And here are the two ways that you can choose. Choose one of these two ways that this son can come about. The first way is this. You can have a son with your wife's maidservant. Now, maybe it's even against her own desire. We don't know. Hagar's a slave. She wouldn't really have uh, much say in the matter. But you're going to have a son with your wife's maidservant, and your wife is just really going to be on the outside looking in for all of the blessings of this son that's going to come. That's option number one. Option number two is this. You can have a son with your wife, Sarah. The woman that you have spent decades of your life with the woman who has spent 90 years of her life being barren and incapable of conceiving a child that woman whom you love and whom you know that well you can see her and her joy fulfilled as she holds a son in her arms to feed him and to rock him to sleep. And as she makes clothes for him and as she spends these joyful days telling this son about the God that has brought his birth about. And the miracles that caused this to happen and how good God is. This God that she has seen and heard and known that she is now teaching him to your son that you have had together. These are your two options. It's not really a hard choice, is it? Have any of y'all ever seen those Capital One commercials? 
that, that present two options. Those of you that have, I can tell. So, so here are a couple of the options that, that they present on those. Uh, one of the most recent ones, you're in charge of a toy drive, and you've got, to do, you've got to figure out who you want to deliver the presents to all the kids. You can either choose this bubbly, excited volunteer lady who is so happy to get to deliver presents, or you can choose the Grinch, like the real green Grinch who stole all the presents from the Who's. Pretty easy decision. There's another one in there having tryouts, trying to decide who's going to play guitar in this garage band. And here are your choices. You can have Brother Zach as your guitarist, or you can have Slash from Guns N' Roses. Right? It's a pretty easy decision. And the point of the commercials is for the card, but it's saying the easiest decision in the history of decisions. And I kind of feel like the options listed here for Abraham kind of fall into that category. The easiest decision in the history of decisions. Point two this morning is this. Our best plans will always pale in comparison to God's. Not just our dumb plans, not the worst plan that you've come up with, not the ones that fail like some of our plans, the very best plan that you've ever come up with and that you've ever executed that went the best that it could have possibly gone, that plan can't hold a candle to the plans that God has for us to the decisions that he's made, to the things that he wants to bring about in our life. So as we see this story, and as we think of ourselves in Abraham's spot, and as we think about the decision to manhandle something and follow our own path and try to make this work by our own cunning and our own ability, or choosing to let God handle it and following him and just seeing what he does with this, being sensitive to follow what he tells us to do, until the very end and we get to see it. And seeing how easy of a decision that should be. And I want us to turn to the rest of this text. Where Paul says that he is allegorizing this. Or at the beginning of verse 24 he says this may be interpreted allegorically. Just real quick because some of you don't know what allegory means. And that's okay. Allegory is taking a story. A narrative story. And showing a hidden spiritual meaning behind it. Right, so, so he's taking the story of Abraham and Hagar and Sarah, and he's trying to now show a hidden meaning that applies to us. I'll be honest, a lot of people use allegory. I'm very, very leery of using allegory in modern context, but that's because we're not apostles, and we're not being led perfectly by the Holy Spirit. So what he's saying here is completely sound and completely right and perfect in every way. So let's look to see how he allegorizes this. Look with me in verse 24. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. 
But just as at the time he, w- he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. And then listen to verse 31. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Now, again... What is Paul trying to tell us here? He's using a lot of very technical thought here. And, and I really went back and forth between getting a whiteboard up here and drawing this out. But we're not going to do that this morning. I want to give you what I feel is the shortest path to understanding what he's saying here. To doing justice to the text while also making it as, as least complicated as possible. So here's what he's doing in this allegory. He gives us two paths. He's talking about how it is that we can know God's forgiveness and God's favor and God's fatherhood. And there are two ways that you can get there. And one of them, he says, is like the path of Hagar. It's the path of sonship through the slave woman. And he's likening that to the old covenant. It's exactly what the law, the old covenant, is like Hagar. That's what he says in verses 24 and 25. He said, now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. Which one is Hagar? She is from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery. Verse 25, now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem for she is in slavery with her children. So he's saying this process of trying to do it on your own is like trying to gain God's favor through the old covenant. He said with with Hagar, what happened is they had a son, but they produced this son by their own ability, by their own cunning, by their own wisdom. And this wasn't as good as the plan that God had for them. And in the same sense, you can try, you can work all your life to try to be good enough to be accepted by God. That can be your plan. That you can try to be accepted by God and forgiven of your sins and and fitting to go to heaven by or according to the flesh. You can try hard enough to be good enough. And you can work on that every day of your life. You doing your best to earn God's favor. I think Paul's also saying this. At the end of the day, this is what you're going to realize. That's a terrible plan. That is a terrible plan that is going to fail. Just like at the end of the day, Abraham and Sarah looked at Ishmael and this whole process and said, this wasn't a good idea. You trying to earn God's favor, you trying to be good enough on your own to get to heaven, is clearly a terrible plan. So he says that's the first path. It's the old covenant. It's like the process of having to have, trying to have a son through Hagar. Doing it on your own. So what's the other path like? He likens it to having a child, Abraham having a son with Sarah. His name is Isaac. Look at verse 28. Now you, brothers, these Christians, saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus, you, brothers, like Isaac... 
are children of promise. Look also at verse 31. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. So, so the process of having a son, not by their own strength, not by their own wisdom, but receiving a son by God's miraculous ability, by trusting God's wonderful promise, is like receiving God's favor through the new covenant. Now, how is that? How is that the same? Because with Isaac and with Sarah, it wasn't what Abraham was able to do. Abraham wasn't able to make Sarah have a child. If he was, he would have had a son with her a long time before that. Sarah wasn't able to make herself have a child. They couldn't make it happen. The only way that it could happen is if they trusted God and God made it happen. And brothers and sisters... In an allegorical way, that's exactly what the new covenant is. No matter how hard I try on my own, I'll never be good enough for God. Now, that sounds striking, but it's the truth. No matter how hard you try on your own, no matter how good you try to be, no matter how hard you try not to sin, you're never, ever going to be good enough for God to accept you because you're never going to be perfect and you're never going to be righteous. And the goal isn't just being better than the other folks around you. That's the goal. The goal is perfect, sinless, completely righteous. And you can't get there on your own just like they couldn't have a child on their own. But you know how you can get there? By God's miraculous grace. By His wonderful promise. In the new covenant, it's not I'll earn it on my own. It's I'll trust in God who has left heaven and come here. Right? It's the gospel. Jesus Christ, who is God, came here and he lived a perfect life and he died a perfect death. And then he came back to life so that when we believe in him, we'd be forgiven of our sins. We would be perfect and sinless and righteous. We would be acceptable to God. We will have the promise of eternal life. All of that comes, but not because we manhandled it, but because God handled it. And so the old covenant is like the process of trying to have a child through Hagar. And the new covenant, what we should want, what we should desire, what we should be thankful for, is trusting in the promises of God. Point three, through Jesus, God has offered us his way. Right? There are two ways. There's our way and there's God's way. And our way always fails and his, his way always makes it. Well, through Jesus, praise God, he's offered us his way. He says, you can do it my way. You don't have to earn it, which is good because we couldn't. And so then when we're trying to apply this, I think Paul does a lot of the heavy lifting for us. In the first verse of chapter 5, he says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Brothers and sisters, he's reminding us that we have been made free. We've been made free from sin, and we've been made free from trying to earn it on our own. And so why in the world will we ever turn back to legalism and trying to earn our own salvation and trying to work hard enough to be good enough to God if we don't have to? if we can receive all of that freely through Jesus. 
So I really think, as I've thought about this a lot over the last few days, I really think there are probably two groups of Christians here today that are hearing this text that probably need to think about applying this in a very particular way. And I think the first group are those of you that are here who struggle with assurance of your salvation. You kind of go back and forth and ask questions like, am I really saved? Am I for sure? Because I think, but I'm not certain. Did I say the right prayer that had just the right words? Did I walk down the aisle at just the right time? In my life, do, do I do this? Do I, and here's the thing, brothers and sisters, if you're trying to think about assurance of your salvation and the questions that you ask keep starting with, do I or did I? Then what you're doing is turning again to a yoke of slavery. What Paul says, you're turning to legalism. If your idea of how you become saved is I did this and I did this and I did this and I did this and not Jesus did this, then you've missed it. You've missed it. Now, do I have faith in Jesus? Yes, faith is required. But brothers and sisters, if you think that you have to do all these other steps in just the right order and just the right way at just the right time in order to be acceptable to God, then you've missed it. And so here's what I pray that you're able to do. You're able to think about Abraham. Abraham's sitting right here. And Sarah's sitting right over here. And she's in an old-fashioned rocking chair. And she's holding Isaac in her arms. 90-year-old woman, 91 maybe-year-old woman, holding this baby in her arms. This baby that, that she shouldn't have ever been able to have because they couldn't make it happen. But she's holding this baby. And I pray that when you picture that, it reminds you of this. God keeps his promises. And God has promised you that if you have faith in Jesus Christ, that de not dependent on how you walk down the aisle, not dependent on if you sign the card right, and not dependent on all those other things, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, then you're saved. Have assurance of your salvation. As sure as she held that baby in her arms, you're going to go to heaven one day. You're accepted and loved by God if you have faith in Jesus Christ. Not because of what you did but because of what he did. And then there's one other group, and they're really way on the other spectrum. So there are those that feel like I'm not good enough, and I don't think I've done enough, and I'm not sure if I'm saved. And they're, they're the ones on the other side, and if you're in this group, then you probably think things more like this. You look at people around you, you look at your coworkers, you look at your friends, and you think, man, boy, I'm really a pretty good guy. I'm a pretty good girl. You know, I mean, golly. These folks do some really dumb stuff. Man, this world is terrible. These sinful people. And I, I mean, I think they should be more like me, good and righteous, doing the right things all the time. And, and, and in a sense, you probably wouldn't say these words, but in a sense, you maybe even feel like, you know what? I, I really do deserve to be one of God's children. I mean, look at my life compared to everybody else. I deserve to get to go to heaven. But brothers and sisters, let me caution you. That if you think that you're righteous or acceptable or good because of things that you do, that righteousness is called self-righteousness. 
and nobody's getting to heaven based on self-righteousness. No, those that have it right are the ones that are in the middle of those two groups somewhere, and this is what they say. I'm sure of my salvation, but only because I'm sure of Christ's work. Not because I'm good enough, and not because I earn it, because I know I don't deserve it, but because of what Jesus has done, I know that I know that I'm forgiven and accepted by God. That's where we want to be. That's the middle ground. Not always doubting our salvation, but not always thinking that we've earned it either. In that middle ground. And so if you're in that group, and you're the ones that are thinking, I'm really good enough on my own, as we stand and prepare to respond this morning, go ahead and stand. If you're in that last group, this is what I would say to you about this story. When you think that you're really good enough on your own, think about how dumb the plan to have a child through Hagar was. And then think, man, that's about how dumb it is that I think that I'm actually good without Jesus' help. That's how terrible my plan to think that I'm good enough on my own is. Let this story guide us in our response today. If you don't know Christ, then come and let me introduce you to Him. If you do know Him, but you always wonder if you really, really know Him, rest in the promises of God. But if you're here and you think you're good enough on your own, ask God to help you to stop looking to your own righteousness and to look only to the righteousness of Christ. This morning we're going to sing a great modern hymn, His Mercy is More, as we're reminded that even these gifts that we have through Christ we don't deserve. Use this time to respond. Pray where you are. Come here and I'll pray with you. Maybe you want to ask God some questions. Maybe you want Him to help ask you, ask Him to help you with some of these things. Or maybe you just want to sing in response to His goodness. You do whatever the Lord is leading you to as both Shane leads us in response.